Good morning, church. Thank you for being here today. Um, I am going to be presenting Mission Sunday, taking up our offerings, and then I'm going to come back up and do announcements. <laughs> um, every, uh, the first Sunday of every month, we highlight missionaries that our church supports. Um, we had uh, two missionaries come Wednesday night. This is a giving church, and it's no more evident than when we have a couple come on a Wednesday night and we give them over $1,000 to take with them. Um, it makes me so proud of our church that, that we think that missions, and we show that missions is important to spread the gospel. Um, so this morning, I'll ask Sister Antoinette come up. Sister Antoinette actually is one of our homegrown missionaries, believe it or not. And she's very humble about it. Not a lot of people know about it. Um, she has a ministry that she does right here in Durham. And I'm going to turn it over to her to let her talk about it. Good morning again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Antoinette Jordan. And I have a mission. My uh, ministry is called Dove. And it's short for Diverse Vocational D-O-V-E. Diverse Occupational Vocational Education. What is it about? We work with middle school children here in the Durham community, and we talk about character education. The information that we, the um, basis that we use is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23. When you have a chance, look that verse up. And we talk to these, we use that to talk about Christ, because many times, the children do not know about Jesus. And what I've done over the years is take the camp to in the communities. I started in 2008, and we go from, I've been in East Durham, I've been over at Cornwallis, because if we take the church to the children, then we have an opportunity to give them Christ right there in their own home, right there in their neighborhood. And then we don't have to depend on the parents to bring them you know, if they get up late that morning, we come, they can get up, wash their little face, and run on down and to the camp and have breakfast, and we can talk to them about Christ. But we not only talk to them about Christ, we use that Galatians 5, 22, 23, but we're doing activities with them, okay? And some of the things that we do, have you been able to get it up, Michael? Some of the things that we do in the camp. Okay, so here's, we make pillows, and I got a pillow maker that's going to help me this year. And we're going to make a cake. We're going to go on field trips. The camp this year is Monday, Tuesday, and Thursdays. All right? right it's going to be right here at Bethel Christian Center in the Fellowship Hall. We're going to go on some field trips. I got some people who saying that they're going to help me take the kids. We're going to Greensboro to the museum, to the uh, science museum. We're doing all of this so that it, it opens the door for us to be able to share Christ easier when we have things for them to do. Uh, so the, if, you, if you choose to register, it's for middle school children from 10 to 14. Show the registration form, you just go online and fill it out. And then I'll get an email saying that your child is participating. Should you have any other questions, please see me. Thank you. In case you couldn't see that website, it's 
campofdove.org. Is there something? Sorry. Hi, my name is Antoinette, director of Dove Summer Camp. I want to take a few minutes to explain to you why I am so passionate about Dove. I grew up in a neighborhood that was impoverished. Many of the children in my neighborhood didn't graduate from high school, and some of them dropped out in middle school. It grieves me because some became drug users, some began using alcohol, and some of them died before they had an opportunity to live. As I grew and understood how childhood environmental influences can cause many children to lose hope of a vision for their future, and some environmental influences can even cause a child's death. That's why I decided that I wanted to be a person that would bring change to communities by providing summer camps to middle school children. You see, camp is a privilege that many children in my neighborhood never had the opportunity to be a part of. So Dove brings camp to middle school children. We teach them academics. We show them how learning is connected to their future. We help them discover their gifts. And we allow them to develop their talents. In short, we show them that education is fun and learning is relevant. So I'm asking you, if you will partner with Doug in providing an opportunity for a child to attend summer camp, go to our website dovesummercamp.com Click on the donate button. Any amount that you donate will, will be used to provide camp for middle school children. Thank you for your support. I'll go ahead and ask the ushers to come forward. I'm going to take up um, your regular offerings and any offerings that you have for missions. If you're giving here in church, um, you can put it in an envelope and you can mark it what goes where, how much goes where. If you're giving online at BethelDurham.com, uh, you can click on the icon in the lower right-hand corner, I believe, and you can uh, delegate where you want your money to go. Um, dear Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the opportunity to, um, to collect the offerings, dear Lord, and to collect offerings for missions that we know that the, the missionaries that we support, and really the missionaries all over the world, dear Lord, take you and go into these communities and go into these areas and let people know about you. Dear Lord, it is life-changing. And dear Lord, we just thank you that we have this opportunity today. I ask you to bless the person that gives the offerings. Dear Lord, multiply these offerings and just let it be used overwhelmingly for your good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Joy. Um, if did everyone pick up a bulletin this morning? If you didn't, grab one on the way out. I'm going to run through some announcements, but it's wonderful because they're all right here now, so you don't have to shuffle to try to put these things in your phone. So continue to pray for pastoral search committee every Tuesday. We're asking folks to pray and fast um, so that, that we are certain when we make the choice for the next pastor. Um, if you will, if you're interested in the CPR technique and AED um, education, Please sign up today. Uh, Kevin Wilson is a retired emergency management person here in Durham. Um, very gifted in a lot of things, but especially in teaching things in a non-threatening, uh, non-scary way. And I can tell you from a, a child that got choked on a banana in the backseat of my car one year, um, there's nothing more terrifying than have something happen and you're not real sure what, what to do. So that's going to be next Saturday. Uh, he's going to do a, a brief class at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. If you're interested, sign up today. Baptism and new members is next Sunday. Larry's going to talk to the ones that's getting baptized today right after church in the prayer room. Father's Day breakfast. Um, ladies, uh, email was sent out. Please respond to that email. Please sign up. Um, let us know what you can do. Let us know what you can bring. Uh, we don't want the men to outshow us because the men cooked an amazing breakfast for Mother's Day. Then um, we have all of these camps. I I'm feel sure that if you wanted to volunteer for Antoinette's camp, that she wouldn't turn you down. So look at the dates for her camp. Um, and if you can give some time, get with her, ask her what, what she needs. Uh, but we have soccer camp, wrestling camp, the Dove camp, um, teens at Camp Dixie. And I think that's it. Okay. Larry. A lot going on. The easiest way for us to communicate with you all folks is through email. So if you see those, please take the time to read them. And if they're asking for a response, respond to them. It just makes it easier to, to prepare and to plan. Uh want, want to uh, welcome Brother Harry back to service with us today. Brother Harry had a little spill and hurt his leg, and good to have him back with us. I told Brother Harry, now Brother Harry always comes to church dressed nice, slacks and coat and tie. So I was ragging him this morning. He came to church in shorts, but it's okay. I wish everybody was determined to come to church. They just come to church in shorts. Nothing was going to keep him out. So it's good to have him back with us this morning. Aunt Pat's good to have you back with us this morning. Aunt Pat struggled with a bad bout of shingles, got it up around her eye. You can't tell. You look just as good as you did before you left. So it's good to have you back with us uh, uh, this morning. Several birthdays this week. We had a big birthday this week. Pastor Don had a birthday this week. So I want to say happy birthday to Pastor Don. Brother Chip, Chip had a birthday, and then Ryan Fisher has a birthday today, right, Ryan? A little bit of age difference between you and Pastor Don, but not much. <laughs> Ryan is the sweet 16. I was going to talk to Pastor Don earlier this week, and he told me he was 82, and he said, yesterday I was 40. And when you get a little bit older, for those of you who are a little bit older, you know that Brother James had it right, that life is but a vapor, because life just goes by so fast. We want to wish everyone a very happy birthday. I want to expound on that men's retreat a little bit. I had kind of somewhat been planning this 
but I really need a response today. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. I have a friend that I work with on the police department. He, he owns a small range up in uh, northern Granville County. Uh, he's, a, he's a brother in Christ. He said we could bring a group of men up there if we wanted to. He's an NRA instructor. He's also a concealed carry instructor. I think Brother Tony, you guys went up there. Uh, he said we could bring a group of men up there and, and shoot some if we'd want. He can actually do a little training if maybe you're not that comfortable with that. Um, and if you don't even want to shoot, it would just be a time of fellowship. I tentatively have a restaurant in Creedmoor Reserve for us. We're on the way back. We can stop and eat probably a, a late lunch, early dinner. I have it for about 3 o'clock. But I need to give him a head count this week, and I need to give the restaurant a head count. So men, after service, if you'll go to that sign-up sheet, and if you, want to, if you would like to attend, that's Saturday the 17th. It's the Saturday before Father's Day. If you will sign up for that, we can take the bus up. Uh, we'll leave here around 9. We'll get up there about 10. And we'll try to leave there around 2. Uh, and then we'll come back through. So I, just, I really need to kind of get a head count on that. So if you men would do that for us, I'd appreciate it. <clears throat> Tammy mentioned that next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. It's not just Baptism Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be a big day for Bethel Christian Center. So I hope you will all be here and plan on attending. We're going, to, we're going to cover all the church ordinances. We're going to take communion together next Sunday. We're going to baptize several people, I think around seven or eight next Sunday. And then we're going to receive, I think, around 10 or so new members into our church. So we're going to have a big Sunday next Sunday. So I hope all of you will plan to come and stay. Brother Michael's going to do a short sermon on baptism and discipleship. Then we'll take a little break. I know you all like to fellowship because I see you fellowshipping after church is over so you can fellowship a little bit. Just don't leave. Don't, please don't leave while our candidates get ready. We're going to baptize them. And then you can fellowship a little bit more while we dry off. And then you can come down and receive our new members. That's an exciting time for a church, folks. And so I hope we'll all come and see that as a time of excitement for Bethel. And that will be next Sunday. For the candidates who are being baptized, if you'll see myself and Brother Michael in the prayer room after this is over, we just have some information we need to, uh, we need to give to you. So last week, uh, well, actually, in this uh, series that we've been doing in the beginning, we've covered a lot of territory. We started out uh, at the creation account, and now we've come all the way up through what is commonly referred to as the patriarchs. Covered the creation, we covered the fall of man, the ark, the wickedness of man, and now we're in the patriarchs. God is often throughout the scripture referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we covered Abraham extensively, we covered Isaac, and last week I moved into Jacob. And this week I want to pick back up with Jacob. And the title of the message this morning is From the Mountain to the Valley. From the Mountain to the Valley. And you might think, what in the world has that got to do with Jacob? Well, when Jacob was first introduced to us, he was in his mother's womb. And he had a brother in there named Esau. And those boys were already fighting in mama's womb. And Rebecca was like, what in the world is going on with these boys? Something's going on. They're already fighting. And God revealed something to her. He said there, she said, there's two nations in your womb. There's a stronger and a weaker. And when they're born, that the younger will serve the older. And when they were born, Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. And by the customs of that day, Esau should have been one to receive the family blessing. But God had done told Rebekah, no, Jacob is the one that I have chosen to put my name with, to put my blessing with, the blessing that I've promised Abraham. 
And by now you should know what that blessing. It was a blessing of land. It was a blessing of inheritance. And it was a blessing that all the nations and all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. And that was ultimately through Christ. And so he said, I'm going to give that blessing to Jacob. Why did he choose Jacob? He chose Jacob. I don't know. That was God's sovereign choice. And I, sometimes I struggle with that. But that's God's business. And God's good at his business. And he knows what he's doing. But Jacob receives this blessing. And what that blessing is, that blessing is the family business, the family inheritance. And it was, it was a big inheritance. God had blessed Abraham and, and therefore Isaac and now Jacob materially. The Bible says they had gold and silver and cattle and farmland. These, they were very blessed. And no doubt at that point, Jacob's feeling pretty on the high on the mountaintop. Date myself a little bit. Back in the 80s, there used to be a song that says, My future's so bright, i got to wear shades. Well, that's how Jacob was at that point. I mean, he's got money. He's got inheritance. He's got the power. He's got it all. But the problem was he was a deceiver. He had deceived his brother Esau. He had deceived his dad. He had lied to his dad to get that blessing, even though God had done said he was going to get it. And because of that, Rebecca, the mother, came to him and said, you got to get out of here. Your brother Esau, he's going to kill you. And he has to take off. And all of a sudden, his life goes from the mountain to the valley. And how many of you know that life is like that sometime? You've experienced that before, some of you have. Things are going just fine. But all of a sudden, there's a little pain. And I need to go see the doctor. And the doctor comes in and he says, I got some bad news. You got cancer. Or you get a phone call. Everything seems to be going okay in life, but you get a phone call. There's been an accident. That just happened this week to a family that I know out in Creedmoor. And someone's dead. Or Brother Denny, your, your boss calls you in. And says, I know you've been a faithful employee for 30 years, but we're going in a new direction. You can go from the mountain to the valley really quick, can't we? But I'm glad that I serve a God that don't change. He's with me in the mountain, and He's with me in the valley. And sometimes we sense Him more, I think, in the valley than we do on the mountaintop. It's sometimes it's then it's when our life is... And our hearts are the most sensitive and tender to his presence. Because we are in a sense of desperation. It's, it's in those times that verses like Romans 8.28, which is my, my life verse. It's a pretty well-known verse. I hope you have a life verse. I hope you have a verse that you can just put your hands on, that you grab hold to when you need it. But Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. Things in life are not good. There's a lot of things in life that happen to us that are not good. But if you love God and I love God, and I know many of you do, and I hope all of you do, and if you've been called according to his purpose, he says that the things that are happening in your life, you may not understand it, you may not know why it's happening, but I got a better purpose for it, and I got purpose of good for it. And in the end, you'll see it. And we have to trust him along the way. And that's ultimately what ended up happening with Jacob. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 28, and I'm going to pick up at chapter 10 and read through verse 22. I email out these scriptures 
several days beforehand. If you've been following along, that means you've read Genesis 1 through 28. There's only 50 chapters. Can't cover every single thing in all those 50 chapters. But if you've read along, you've, co- you've read almost half or over half of the book of Genesis. So I hope you've been, been reading along. But in, in Genesis uh, 28, 10 through 22, it reads like this. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head. And he lay down in the place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you. Wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head, under his head. He set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then God made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give give bread to me to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I surely give a tenth to you. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that words that were written thousands of years ago are just as applicable to our lives as they were then. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's been here. Lord, I pray, Lord, for your anointing. I pray, God, for the hearer's ears to receive what your word has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 11 of that passage, it says this. It says, so he came to a certain place. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. He came to a certain place. When Jacob came into this certain place, he's running. He's running from his brother Esau. He's gone from having all the family wealth, the possession, to having nothing. When he arrives in this certain place, it's late. He's been running. He's tired. He's going to sleep. But his life has changed drastically. He don't have a dime to his name. He's had to leave his family. He's going to to a place he don't know, to people he don't know. The only thing he has is a rock for a pillar. No doubt Jacob is at the lowest point of his life. As a matter of fact, he says that himself. Don't worry about it, Tammy, I don't have this. But in Genesis 35 and 3, when he will recount this, he calls this the day of my distress. So imagine that. He's gone from having everything, being on top, and now he's in distress. But as I mentioned, it's often in those times that God speaks to our spirit when we're in distress. 
When we're in that valley is when God will speak to us. When we're lonely, when we're facing sickness, it's when often when we're in our biggest time of need that we receive God's grace or that we need God's grace. And here is Jacob. He needs God's grace. And just when he needs it is when God shows up. God was the initiator of this event. God was the initiator of coming to this place. And how many times have I needed it and you needed God? And when you need him the most is when you sense him come and reveal himself to you. I was having this conversation with Pastor Smith just a couple weeks ago from the Meet Me at the Bridge. He was talking about how the people there are sensitive to God's word and sensitive to God's presence. Because they don't come with pride. They know they've met a mess of their lives. Nobody has to tell them that. And so many times we come to God with our pride. We come to God with our successes. We come to God with our finances. And they hinder us from receiving maybe what God really wants to give to us. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But not them. Not them. Because often it's when that we need God's grace most is when it's the most real to us. That was Apostle Paul. That's what happened to him. That's what happened to him. He had had a supernatural revelation of heaven, Paul had. The Bible says he took him up, that God took him up into the third heaven, and he got to see things that he couldn't even come back and tell. But he said because of this, God had put a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. You know, and sometimes God gives us things to keep us humble. Oh, they may be hidden. Nobody might know anything about them. But sometimes God gives us things to keep us humble. I know he gives me things to keep me humble. But Paul didn't like it. We don't know what the thorn was. And I think that's by design. Some say it was a physical infirmity. Some say it was someone who was always a hindrance to his ministry. Some say it might have been a sin that nagged at him. We don't know. And I think that's by God's grace. But I do know this. Paul prayed three, he said three times, God, take this thing away from me. Take it away from me. And I know there's been you here that's prayed. You've prayed for healing. You've prayed for something in your family. You want God to do something. And you say, Lord, take this thing away from me. But this is what God said to Paul. And this sometimes it's what he says to us. Because he knows what we need more than what we need. And in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, he said this. Paul said that God said to him, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know if there's something in your life that's bothering you. But I want you to hear the words of God when he says his grace is sufficient for you. And it is in your weakness, it is your weakness that his power is made perfect. And you may not feel it. You may not sense it. But if you're here, you're a child of God, there's things you're dealing with, he's with you. Because he said he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. But it's in this place, it's in this lonely place, this certain place, that God reveals himself to Jacob. And he does so in a dream. He does it in a dream. Dreams are common in the Bible. I did a little research on it. There's 21 stated dreams in the Bible, and others are referred to. Ten of those are in the book of Genesis alone. You may remember that King Abimelech had a dream when Sarah came into his household. 
God came to Abimelech in a dream. He said, you better not touch that woman. And then there's the dream of Joseph. Joseph, who would be one of Jacob's sons. He had a dream about some wheat stalks. Joseph had 11 brothers. And he said, I had a dream the other night, and my wheat stalk was real tall, and y'all's wheat stalk was smaller, and your wheat stalk bowed down. And his brother said, what are you trying to say? We're going to bow down to you. We ain't bowing down to you. But they would. They would. There was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king of Babylon. And he had a dream about a statue, and nobody could interpret it, but he brought a young man named Daniel. And Daniel would interpret that dream, and he would tell him what was going to happen to his kingdom. And then there was Pilate's wife. Pilate's Jesus was going to stand before Pilate to be judged by Pilate. And his wife would come to him and she would say this to him. She'd say, don't have anything to do with that just man. Because I've had a dream and it's troubled my spirit. God uses dreams. He still uses dreams today. As a matter of fact, in Acts 2.17, when Peter was preaching, he would quote the prophet Joel and he would say this in Acts 2.17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God that I will pour out my, flesh, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And God still uses dreams today. As a matter of fact, do you know one of the main ways that many Muslims today come to faith in Christ? It's through dreams. It is through dreams. I... Uh, I wish I could remember the, the exact details of it, but several years ago, a man came and visited us with the ministers at Durham Ministers in Prayer. And he was a Muslim, former Muslim. And as he began to tell his testimony and how his family had come to Christ, it involved a dream. I wish I had written it down, but it was a dream. And as I was studying that, I ran across this. that talked about this. This came from the Christian Post. And it says, why Muslims convert to Christianity? From 1991 to 2007, a Fuller Theological Seminary School of Intercultural Studies conducted a survey among 750 Muslims who had converted to Christianity. Those surveyed represent 50 ethnic groups from 30 different countries. Here were the nine most cited reasons for conversion to Christian faith. Now, I think some of these are part of the reason we, people convert to the Christian faith that maybe are just not Muslims, just, just unbelievers. But here were the nine most cited by, by those who, who were Muslims. And this first one, I think, does apply to everyone. Christians practiced what they preached. They saw that this faith meant something to us. They saw that it made a change in our lives. I still think that's the loudest witness to the world today about a believer of Christ. We should look and live and walk differently. Perfectly, no, but differently. And especially as our culture changes so much, man, we should look different than everybody else. We should walk different, talk different, live different. And they should see it in us. And maybe when they ask us why we do or don't do certain things, maybe you've already witnessed to them, but maybe you can say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. But when the Muslims see that it actually has an impact, it's just not something we talk about, but it's something we live it was one of the, it was number one cited. Christians appeared to have loving marriages in which women were treated as equals. You don't have to watch too much television to understand women are not treated very well in the Muslim faith. But as Christians, our wives are treated as equals 
as they should be. Christian to Christian violence was less prominent than Muslim to Muslim violence. The prayers of Christians had healed the disabled and delivered others from demonic powers. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, miracles. The Quran had produced profound disillusionment because it accentuates God's punishment more than his love and the use of violence to impose Islamic laws. Number six, God had used visions and dreams to influence the converts' decisions. Visions and dreams. This is the saddest one of them all. And as you know, Colin and Madison spent several years in a Muslim nation. And I, I remember him telling me this, and I thought, what, what, a, what a sad way to live. But it said this, it said, Muslims can never be certain of their forgiveness and salvation as Christians can. Can you imagine working and working and working and doing and doing and doing and not knowing if it matters? Friends, I am so glad that the God I serve is not like that. I'm so glad he went to a cross and said, everything you need to know that you have eternal life is done. Come unto me. Lay your sin burden down. Follow me. And you can be certain of your salvation. And one of the things I think that the devil likes to get into our ear about, I know he does me, is you're not saved. He don't love you. You ain't done enough. You've been too bad. All that is nonsense of the evil one. The price has been paid for our salvation. And that is based on what God's word says, not how you feel about it. As they read the Bible, the, convert, the converts had been convicted of its truth. The converts were attracted to the idea of God's unconditional love. But one of those was dreams and visions. But it was a dream that God chose to reveal himself to Jacob. And in this dream, it's found in verses 12 through 15. Here's what he sees. He sees a ladder. And it goes from heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. He's asleep. Many think it was a stairway. Not, not a ladder, but a stairway. And on this stairway, he sees angels ascending and descending on it. And at the top of the stairway, he sees God himself. He sees God. Now, do I think it was actually God? I think it was God. I think it was in the spirit of God. And it's in that dream that God reveals to Jacob that he's going to give him that promise that he gave his granddaddy Abraham. First time that he's revealed that to him. He says, I'm going to give you the land where you're at. It's yours. That your descendants are going to be as the sands of the, of the sea. And through you and your seed, all the nations will be blessed. So this is the first time that God has revealed himself to Jacob. We don't see anywhere where Jacob built altars or called on the name of the Lord prior to that. He was raised in a Christian home. His mother prayed. His father prayed. His granddaddy was Abraham. But this is the first time that we think God himself revealed himself to Jacob and to who he was in this dream. But he confirms that covenant with him. But then he says this to him in verse 15. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. He tells Jacob this. He said, Behold, I am with you and I'm going to keep you. And I told you last week, and I, I, I struggled with it a little bit, but last week 
a doctrine that runs, a controversial doctrine that runs through Christianity, this doctrine of election. Who does the choosing? Man's God's sovereignty, man's free will. It goes all the way back to Jacob and Esau. Well, I'm going to tell you another doctrine that runs through, through, through Christianity, that runs from Genesis to Revelation. It's the keeping power of God. He knows how to keep his children. He knows how to keep his own. As a friend of mine once said, God knows how to take care of his kids. And when God says, I'm going to keep you, he's going to keep you. And when he said, Jacob, I'm going to keep you, he was going to keep him. And we'll see later that Jacob's life would really go through some struggles. The deceiver would become the deceived. Life would get hard on Jacob. He would probably wonder many times, am I going to come back to this land? He came back to the land because God said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to keep you. And this idea of God being with us, God is with us. He told the nation of Israel, he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And every promise of that Bible is yes and amen in Christ. And that promise was given to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 31.8. But that promise is to me today and it's to you today in Christ if you're one of his children. He's going to keep you. He's going to be with you. He told Joshua. He told Joshua. Now, now Moses had died. Moses had led the, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, out of bondage. And they were going into this land that was promised to Abraham. Moses has led them across the desert, and now they're going into this promised land. Moses has died. Now Jacob takes over. And he's like me. Sometimes he's like me right now as I stand as the pastor of this church. God, Pastor Don's not pastoring anymore. What, what do I do? How do I? How do I do this? And, and this is what God said to Jacob. And this is what he says to me. And this is what he says to every one of you. He said, have I not commanded you? He didn't say, have I suggested to you? Maybe you should. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. We need some strong believers we need some courageous believers today. Every time, this, this yesterday, myself, Judith, Brother Gerald, a few others, and many of you have been, we, we've gone out to pray, and I'm, I think we're always kind of reluctant to say this, but I'm going to say it. We go and pray right, into, right in front of the planned parenthood where the abortions are taking place. We're not there to pick it. We don't hold signs. We don't holler at people. They holler at us. They call us all kinds of names, but that's okay. But we stand there and pray. And it takes a little courage to do it. When I, when I go out to do that, I, half the time I don't want to go. But it takes courage. It's going to take courage to be a follower of Christ in these last days. Because they're going to call you names. They're going to call you all kinds of things. They're going to try to take your jobs. But God said, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When you walk out of this building, if you're redeemed of the Lord, when you walk out of that, I don't know what you're going to face or what you're going to deal with, but the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He won't leave you and he won't forsake you. And that's what Jesus told his disciples. Think about them. They followed him. They've seen him crucified. They've seen him resurrected. You're talking about who's on the mountain and in the valley, on the mountain in the valley. It was them. And one of the last things he said to them was in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. And this is what we're going to do next week, and I hope every one of you is here, and I hope you bring somebody with you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brother Mike, Sister Zandy, he was with you. Brother Mike, he was with you in that room, waiting room. He was with her in the operating room. You, you follow the Lord. He's part of you. You know in your darkest times when you're sitting somewhere, you, you know that God is with you. God is with us. And he revealed that to Jacob in a dream. In a dream. This whole book, I've said this a couple times from Genesis to Revelation, is about Christ. It's about him. In the book of, in the, in the creation, he's the us of let us make man in our own image. In the fall, he is the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. He is the ark of our salvation. And he is the fulfillment of this dream. Jacob couldn't really understand this. He's having a dream. He sees a ladder. He sees angels going up and down. He knows God has revealed something to him and has confirmed something to him, but he couldn't fully understand it. But several thousand years later, when Christ would come, Emmanuel, God with us, he would come. And he'd start calling his disciples. And he called Philip. Well, Philip knew someone named Nathaniel. And Philip went to Nathaniel, and he said, hey, Nathaniel, come and see. I think we have found the Messiah, the ones that Moses and the prophets wrote about. Come see him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He says, come and see. Well, the Bible says that Nathaniel's walking down, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, now here comes a true Israelite of who there's no deception. Now think about that. He says that to Nathaniel, but think about that in light of Joseph. I mean, Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. His name meant deceiver. So you had one of the very first Israelites that was a deceiver. You got 1,000 years later, Jesus looks at him and says, Now here is a true Israelite of whom there's no deception. And Nathaniel, like me, looks at Jesus and says, How do you know me? I've never met you. How do you know me? And Jesus said, hey, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And that prompts Nathaniel to go, you are the king of Israel. And as I studied this, they said it wasn't uncommon for Jews in that time to sit under a fig tree and study the scripture. And so I wonder, and many other wonder, was, was, was Jacob sitting under a fig tree studying and contemplating this dream that Jacob had? This idea of heaven opening up and Angels coming up and down, and how do we get to heaven? And when, what, what's the process going to be? How do we really get there? And Jesus looks at Nathaniel, and he says, Because I saw you under the fig tree, you've believed in me. But he says this in verse 50 through 51. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
It was no longer a ladder. It was no longer a stairway. And I think he was looking at Nathaniel, and he was looking at us today, and he says, that way to heaven, that gate to heaven, the way we get to heaven is not through works, not through being a good person, not through being a bad person, but you see this stairway to heaven is now through the Son of Man. And he's standing before you talking to you. And many people try many different ways to get to heaven, but there's only one way, and that's through the Son of Man. And when I think about the life of Jesus and how angels were all around his life, an angel would, devi- would visit the little 14-year-old Jewish girl when she's pregnant and she's never known a man and say, don't be afraid. You're conceived with the Holy Spirit. When he would be born, a host of angels would appear to shepherds and say, reveal the, the birth of Christ. When Satan would take him out and tempt him and he'd come out of the wilderness, an angel would minister to Jesus. And then after he rose again, before he would ascend into heaven, he would ascend up and they're looking up into the sky where he went and an angel would appear to him and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who went away will come again in like manner. And you want to talk about angels ascending and descending. Matthew 24 says that one day a trumpet's going to sound. And he's going to dispatch his angels. And they're going to go to the four corners of the earth. And he's going to gather together his elect. And we'll all see the angels ascending and descending. And as they they ascend, we'll ascend up with them. And we'll meet the Lord in the air. That was the fulfillment of Jacob's dream. That's what all of this is about. Jacob could only see it in a dream. But this is the complete fulfillment of it. And we live now waiting for the absolute complete fulfillment of it when he comes back. With the angels. Jacob's dream. But Jacob wakes up. And in verse 16 to me. He says to me one of the saddest things in scripture. He says then Jacob awoke from his sleep. And said surely the Lord was in this place. And I did not know it. All this had happened. God had been there. God had visited him. And he didn't even sense his presence and his spirit. Why? The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he's not yet personally connected to God. There's no mention of him building the altars or calling on the Lord. So maybe he didn't even know what it meant to sense the presence of God. Maybe there was no, and this is sometimes our problem today, maybe there was no expectation of God in that place. I think we walk in and out of our church today and people walk in and out of churches. And we fly in here late, troubled, worried. No expectation, really, that God's going to move in our midst. I'm guilty of that. I want us to come sometimes into the presence of God with a strong sense of expectation. God, what are you going to do in our midst today? Maybe Jacob didn't have an expectation of what God would do in that place. Don't know. But I do know there are some things that can hinder us from sensing the presence of God. And the Bible tells us not to quench the Spirit couple things. First, foremost, I think the number one thing that keeps us as American followers of Christ often from sensing the presence of God is apathy. Apathy simply means a lack of concern or interest. Just not interested. I mean, see, this is Sunday morning, and let me run in here, and here's my checklist for the week, and I'm going to check that off. I got that one done. We just don't seem that concerned about the things of God. I think part of that is we're still in a very good place in this nation. 
I don't know that that won't change. I don't know that it's going to take something to shake our nation. And we saw that really for the first time really in 9-11. Some of you are too young to remember that, but most of you do. Remember what happened in 9-11. There was so much uncertainty in the nation that churches, people were going to the churches, going to the churches. I think it started a little bit like that when COVID. Of course, they shut the churches down. But people were concerned. They're afraid. I mentioned when I talked on Noah that psychiatrists were saying that the number one question that people were asking when COVID first started was spiritual questions. Who can meet my spiritual need? But we're apathetic. I'm apathetic in time. Let things of life get in the way. Be busy. Sin. Sin will keep us from sensing the presence of God. If there's unrepentant sin, if you're living in unrepentant sin in your life, it is going to hinder you getting the fullness and the presence of God. What you will sense then will be conviction. And the presence of God brings conviction. And I've sat under conviction before, and it's a terrible feeling. But I'm glad I sat under it, and I'm glad I surrendered to it. And so this morning when we do this altar time, if you feel something tugging at your spirit, you feel the conviction, don't let your pride keep you in the seat. Come and sense the presence of God. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. People are looking for joy. They're trying to find joy and happiness. They're very different. You want joy in your life. It's found in the presence of God. Not in things, but sin. Intellect. Our intellect keeps us from sensing the God's presence. In the book, The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel, I love that book. I read it twice. I may read it again. But he said that he could, as he was journeying around the nation and in some ways around the world investigating miracles, real miracles that had happened, and he would go to certain churches and ask them, do you believe in the miraculous? Do you believe God can still do miracles today? He said he got to the point where he could almost ride by the church and look in the parking lot. And if there were high-end cars out there, Lexus, Mercedes, BMWs, whatever, you know. He said, I could almost get to the point I could tell you I could go in and ask folks, do y'all believe in miracles? And most of the time they would be like, eh, no, we don't know about that stuff. Too smart. Our intellect. See, God's going, God is going to pierce through our intellect. He will pierce through our intellect if we'll humble ourselves under him. And then lastly, fear. I think sometimes we're afraid of what God's going to do if his presence starts to move. Sometimes I think the, the biggest thing that hinders folks from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is letting go and allowing God to move through them. Just letting go as you begin to worship and praise. Fear, fear will keep us from that. But Jacob said, surely the presence of the Lord is, and I, I didn't even know it. But this place changed for him. I told you that he was in a certain place. That place was first known as Luz. But it went to Bethel. It went from an insignificant place called Luz to a significant place called Bethel, the house of God. That's what this is. This is Bethel Christian Center. This is the house of God. And when you meet God, what he does is insignificant places become significant. Many of you probably remember the first time you met God. I remember the first time I had an experience of God at East Durham Church of God on Sutherland Street as a 13-year-old boy, and I felt, I felt God's pull in my heart. I will never forget that little church. Walked in it a few years ago. 
when as soon as I walked in, I was like, man, this thing's small. It seemed so much bigger when I was a little boy. But I still remember that's where I met God. That's why the altar's important. How many times people right here at 3518 Rosa Sharon Road have met God? And the insignificant can go to the significant. Wherever God's presence is, is Bethel. It's Bethel. Under the old covenant, under the old system, they had the tabernacle and the temple and all those things. They had to go there to meet God. Well, guess what? I can meet God and you can meet God right now in your house. I hope you meet Him in your house. I hope you have a place in your house where you go and spend some time with God and meet God. You can meet God. I've met God many times in my car. Been riding down the road and a praise and worship song come on that I like. And I have an encounter with God. I keep driving. I had not gotten enough faith yet to close my eyes and just say, Jesus, take the wheel. But I've met God in my car. Wherever God is, wherever God is, is Bethel. And he wants to reveal himself to you. And, where, and Jacob would say, not only is this Bethel, but this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. Brother Michael, will you, uh, will you uh, and Sister Joy, whoever's going to sing, come on up. Jacob would end this encounter with a vow. In a vow, in verse 20, he said, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give, give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And when you read that, it almost seems like Jacob's bargaining with God. Because it says sin. It says if, if, if. Well, as I study this, most commentators believe the better translation is since. Since God is going to be my God, since you've revealed yourself to me, then you will be my God. And what I noted here is the promise and the presence of God gave Jacob confidence. There he was in a lonely place at the lowest part of his life, not knowing what tomorrow hold, not a penny to his name, knowing he's having to go to his uncle Laban to a place he don't know. And, and there would be several challenges in his life. But what Jacob knew was that God was going to be with him, his presence was going to be him, and he went from uncertainty to confidence. And once again, I don't know what you're facing in your life or what I will face in my life. The thing for me is life's going okay for me. You know, I just had my annual physical, and the doctor gave me a bill of health, a good bill of health. My finances are okay. My family's healthy. But, but the, and it, this, this is lack of faith, but the, the, the fear in that is like, okay, God, when does it change? It can't stay like this always. When's it coming? Because I know life handle, deals it, and it does. And I know it's going to deal it to me one day. But I will face it with the confidence that God is with me. He won't leave me. He won't forsake me. If I get a call like Mike got, if I get a call like Denny got, these men have shown me what it means to trust God. Many of you have shown me what it means to trust God. And I will trust God through it because he's with me. And his presence will go with me and it will give me confidence in what I face. And then lastly, a natural response to God's presence is giving. Right after he woke up and he realized that God had revealed himself to him and made a promise to him, he said, God, surely all that I give you, all that I get, I will give you a tenth. This is the second time the tithe has been mentioned. Abraham had an encounter with a 
priest named Melchizedek and gave him a tenth. Jacob gives a tenth. A natural response, folks, to, a, to the presence of God, to giving ourselves to God, is giving. And you know what? I know many of you, if not all of you, have experienced that because you've been a giving church. You have been a very giving church and a very giving people, which lets me know that you know what it means to respond to God's presence. I'm going to ask everyone if you would to stand. <clears throat> Miss Joy's going to sing a song for us this morning. And when she starts to sing, the altar's open. There's nothing like being in the presence of God. And just because we don't sense God's presence doesn't mean He's not here. And there's been times I've come into church and walked out and I heard somebody say, man, boy, I felt the power of God in there. I was like, well, I'm glad you did. I didn't feel a thing. But that didn't mean he wasn't there. And sometimes I think he can minister and speak to us sometimes maybe when we don't feel him the most. But there's a song called In the Presence of Jehovah. God Almighty, Prince of Peace. Troubles vanish. Hearts are mended. In the presence of the King. You got some problems this morning? Some troubles? Won't you let them vanish for a little while in the presence of God? Is your heart broken over something? It can be mended in the presence of the King. If you need something from the presence of God this morning, as joy begins to sing this song, I want everyone to come down to the altar. And let's just sing with this song. Close your eyes. Bask in the presence of God. He said we're two or three are gathered together. I mean, so he's here. In the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace. Joy. <laughs>